So next up, Caroline is going to be sharing. She's going to be continuing the sermon series we've been on. And I got to tell you that I share an office with Caroline, so I, got, I get little sneak peeks on what she's going to share. And you guys are in for a real treat. Let's welcome Caroline. I'm a little jealous of uh, Sarah's goddess dress. <laughs> right? Okay, so I am the kids and family pastor at the river, and I've been uh, leading our children's ministry, youth ministry, for the last 10 years or so. And I love my job. Um, for the first two years, I didn't, but after that, uh, <laughs> But I, some, I sometimes complain. There's one thing that I complain about my job, which is that when you work with children, they take a while to grow, which means that it is hard to tell if your program is really effective, you're bearing fruit. You'll find that out in 20 years. <laughs> and that's kind of a long time to get the feedback. But. Uh, just this last this few weeks ago, we were uh, the church, some of us at the church were at the retreat, and I was watching all our children running around. They played so hard from morning till night, and I was watching them. I just thought, they are growing, and we are seeing the life in them, and they're we are bearing fruit, and our community has been so great at the retreat, interacting with the little children, blessing them, getting to know them. There's, I sometimes say that there's nothing better, that's like the best thing we do as a community for our children is the retreat because they really get to experience the whole of the community from day uh, morning to night. They get to spend the all day with them and their friends and they love it, they feel safe, they feel loved, and they feel seen. They also feel so affirmed in their desire to be with their friends, their desire to have fun, and be who they are without being judged. So before I start my talk today, I wanted to show you some pictures. There are more pictures, but I picked just out a few pictures to show you what happened at the retreat. That was talent show. And Avery showing off his talent.
Isn't that great? I love our community. It's a, there's a real life and love um, in this community here. And this is one of the reasons why when people move away and they are not part of our church anymore, they really misses, miss us a lot. And one of those people who moved away some time ago recently wrote me an email. And we, um, I got to know what she was up to, what's going on with her. And she shared with me um, some, some of the challenges that she's going through right now in her life. She is going through a divorce after her husband's repeated infidelity. She grew up in a church, got married in a church, but she feels that church in her life growing up and also through the process of her uh, separation and divorce, uh, it's been more hurtful than helpful. Um, she feels oppressed by the patriarchy and sexism in, in, a, in the Christian culture. She said she's going to stay away from church for a while. She can't even think about visiting a new church. But she is seeing a good therapist, um, and she's exploring different sides of God, more feminine side of God. And it's really been helping her. She has been able to embrace and love who she is more fully. She wrote, I think that by rejecting the racist, misogynistic, and fear-driven mindset of cultural Christianity, I have actually discovered God more. But part of her also feels guilty. The voices from her past and what she learned growing up tells her that maybe her spiritual exploration is dangerous and immature. Maybe it's wrong, not from God. She wonders if it's like too new age or maybe it's paganism. So she wonders about that. But overall, she's doing better. So when I read her email, I was happy for her because it sounds like that she is refinding God for herself in a deeper way. She's finding life in this new season even as she's facing some challenges. And the story resonated with me in that I have heard the echoes of the same story before. I've heard it from many others. And I could see how this might happen to someone, that they can find God in a deeper way in the non-church settings. But then the other side of me also feels the tension, just as my friend had. What does that say about God? What does that say about our faith, Christianity? Didn't Jesus say no one comes to, G comes to God except through me? To be honest with you, these questions have been floating in, around in my head for a long time. And I feel like what's happening in this country makes it hard to ignore these questions. It is true, my friend's story resonated with me because there is truth in it. It is true that the Christian culture, at least in this country, has not been so good to women, 
people of color, LGBTQ community, the poor, pretty much anyone outside of the establishment. It is hard to ignore the fact that those who marched in Charlottesville a few weeks ago in the name of the white supremacy and violence and hate are most likely self-proclaimed Christians. And many of those who counter-protested in the name of love and inclusion were the non-religious people, secular liberal people. So when the secular non-religious culture seems to be better at compassion and empathy, at embracing differences and including everyone, what does that say about our faith? For my friend, the non-religious culture has been better at helping her find God even. Puzzles me. Does it puzzle you? I think a lot of the tension that we feel about this dynamic comes from the bounded set mindset. Charles talked about it last week. Um, there's a picture, the bounded set. So it's the mindset that think about faith as whether you're in the set or out. So there are certain criteria that you have to meet, like you're baptized or you attend a church, then you're in. If not, you're out. You're either God's people or you're not. You either believe the right things or not. So this is kind of the often the uh, way that the Christianity, uh, traditional Christianity has think about faith. But the only way for the boundary, the circle, to have any meaning in this model is if God's love and power works within that set only. Right? There's a reason why there's a set. You're in, then you're blessed. You're in, then you're loved. You're in, then you're on God's side. Right? I mean, occasionally maybe God speaks to someone outside and there will be a dramatic conversion and they will see the light and come into the bounded set. But for the most part, the people inside the bounded set are the people who know the truth. And outside are the people who don't know the truth. In this paradigm, there is no way to learn from the outside culture. There are no goodness in the outside culture. There are no meaningful connections or relationships outside of the bounded set. You can see how poorly it is set up also for self-reflection or self-correction. And my description of the set might sound extreme, but it is really the logical extension of the worldview. And this way of looking at the world makes a lot of us feel uncomfortable because 
we experience that to be untrue. We've been loved and cared for and helped by those who don't know God. We know of non-believers who are great at loving their neighbors and friends. We know a Muslim or Buddhist or Jew who know more about forgiveness and mercy than us. So what is the alternative picture as we think about this dynamic? How is God's spirit moving and working in the world today? Is there a way for us to keep moving toward God, but also able to receive and learn from other cultures? So I want to share today, uh, I want to share a story today from the Bible that has really helped me think about these questions. In my opinion, it is the, the most encouraging and hopeful story in the whole Bible. As, the, um, as I said, I'm the kids and family pastor. I've been, telling, I've been spending a lot of Sundays for the last 10 years with kids. I tell them stories on Sunday mornings and discuss them with them. So I told a lot of Bible stories, and I know a lot of them. But among all those stories, this comes up as the most encouraging and hopeful. Are you intrigued? Um, first, let me adjust this. Okay, so let me read from Matthew 13. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. This is one of the many stories Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven, sometimes also called the kingdom of God. The two phrases are uh, used interchangeably. The phrase the kingdom of God has been used so many times in church settings that we don't sometimes even stop and think about what it is or what it means. The way I think about the, uh, the kingdom of God is that it is God's kingdom. It is where God reigns. That means that where, it is where God's reality of love and justice is fulfilled. It is the place where love wins always and love conquers everything. It is where God's justice is always true. Nowadays, when we hear the word justice and we think about the punitive justice, where uh, the narrow kind of justice where the, you know, the bad people is punished and the good people are rewarded. But God's justice is much more than that. It is not just about rectifying the injustice that's already happened. It's really about the, uh, the God's reality of justice where everyone has the free and full access to God's love, his provision and grace, where everyone is fully included and valued, 
where everyone can freely give and receive. So Jesus is talking about this reality of God that is coming to this world with the parable of the mustard seed. He's illustrating what is coming. And as Jesus is telling this very simple story, that it's a story in the Bible, but it's, it's something that we see in the nature all the time as well. It's a very simple story, but as Jesus is telling this story, there are layers of meanings that's happening. On the surface, he's talking about the mustard seed and the mustard plant. But then he's really talking about the kingdom of God that is coming. And then even as he is telling the story about the kingdom of God, he himself is the perfect embodiment of the kingdom of God. He carries the spirit of God in him, and God's love and justice are made real and perfect in Jesus. So, the seed of the kingdom of God, which is like the mustard seed that Jesus is speaking of here, is Jesus himself. He is the mustard seed to be planted. And in John 12, 24, he himself talks about this very thing. He compares his own death to the kernel of wheat that needs to die to produce many more new, new kernels. So Jesus carried the kingdom of God within himself. His death and resurrection planted the kingdom of God on earth. This is what he's done for us on the cross. Through him, now there's a kingdom of God growing in this world. Isn't that encouraging and hopeful? There's more. There are few more things I find particularly hopeful in this story. First is that this kingdom of God grows and grows, though we do not understand how. Why is that encouraging? Because that means that the burden of growing this kingdom is not on us. It's not about how well we believe or how holy we are. The kingdom itself carries such life that we cannot stop it from growing if we tried. It has come by the grace and the power of God, and God is making it happen. God is growing it. And Jesus actually tells a very similar parable to describe this very point. It is commonly called the parable of the growing seed. And it goes, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters the seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. And it goes on. So the kingdom of God grows and grows, though we do not understand how. Another encouraging thing about the story 
is the kingdom of God will spread and spread until it fills the earth. Imagine this with me. This mustard seed plant has grown big enough to offer shelters and food to different creatures. What will happen next? Soon it will bloom its yellow flowers and produce many, many tiny seeds. I did a bit of reading on the mustard seed and they are supposed to be really hardy and prolific. One plant can produce 500 seeds or more and the seeds sprout very quickly. Once you have mustard plants in a region, I hear it's almost impossible to get rid of them. So I imagine the mustard seeds that were produced by the original plant get planted, sprout, and grow, and in turn, they too will flower and produce more seeds. And I bet those tiny seeds can travel far. So in no time, we'll find these plants outside of the field, in the neighboring regions, and it, it will in time spread to the entire world. And yes, I am using my imagination here, but I am not making this up because in Matthew, Jesus does tell uh, another parable right after the parable of the mustard seed. Um, to explain this, he says in Matthew 13, 33, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. As the kingdom of God spreads like the mustard plants and fills the whole world, right? Like the yeast. You can see that it will be of no use to try to contain these plants within an area. It will not respect any kind of boundaries that people put in. This prolific plant will not care if it is blooming in a churchyard or a city street. God will bring his kingdom wherever he pleases in mysterious ways. God's spirit is working and speaking to those in the church and outside of the church. In secular non-religious culture, as well as the Christian culture. I find this to be an extremely hopeful picture of God's kingdom. In this picture, Faith that works everywhere that we've been talking about in this sermon series, faith that works everywhere for everyone is really possible. In this picture, life that comes from God is so much more powerful and stronger than our understanding 
or our need for control. All life comes from Jesus, and they grow in different places in different shapes. And Jesus is bringing life everywhere to places where his name is worshipped and to places where it's not. This, I think, is what Jesus meant when he said, no one comes to God except through me. It doesn't mean that to access God, everyone needs to invoke his name, like some magic word, but that when there is sign of true life in someone or something or uh, a culture somewhere, we know that it comes from Jesus, whether his name is spoken or not. Where there is life, there is Jesus, because all life comes from him. He said, I am the life, after all. And you might ask, how do we know if something has true life or not? Because not everything that looks like life is true life. Just because something feels good doesn't mean that it will bring life, especially in the long term. This is an important question and the one that takes time to answer fully. But for the purpose here, let's think about the mustard plant. We know the tree by the fruit it produces. If the tree is producing good fruit, it must be a good tree. If something is producing the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If somebody is showing these fruits, if a culture is showing these fruits, it must be from the spirit. It must be true life. So my first practical suggestion today is ask what is its fruit instead of where is it planted? The bounded set Christian culture has a tendency to care too much about where is it from. It has a history of condemning things that come from outside of the Christian culture with a knee-jerk automatic response. There was a time when pop music was evil. Only the Christian music was good and holy. Hip-hop music, definitely bad. Yoga was suspicious. It was idol worship. Harry Potter was dangerous. Dangerous for kids because it was about wizards and magic. Though Narnia was okay, <laughs> even though it was about magic too, because it was written by a Christian. Come on, right? <laughs> I've also heard a rumor, I have not verified this on my own, that there is a Christian version of Pinterest. Is that true? 
Is it where, I don't know, only Christians can go or only the Christian stuff is you can pin? I don't know. But it all comes from the belief that only the Christian culture is safe and godly. Only what is within this bounded set, however arbitrary those bound, bound, boundaries might be. Only those things are good and holy. Anything outside of that culture is bad and can be dangerous. And this may be well-intentioned, but it makes God as small as the Christian culture. It underestimates the power of life and the kingdom of God. It underestimates the scope of God's plan. Just as the mustard plant cannot be contained within a yard, the kingdom of God cannot be contained within our understanding of who God is. God is at work in all of the world, in the secular culture and the Christian culture. When the Christian culture insists that only they have the truth, that is when the outside cultures will move ahead of it. When we see the secular culture understands better what it means to love those who are different, whether that's based on race, gender, sexuality, ability, religion, where is it from is not a good question to ask. We can't dismiss it by saying, well, you don't know God, so you're all sinful and going to hell and nothing good can come out of your mouth. No, we need to ask, what is its fruit? And when the fruit is love and kindness and gentleness, we know that God must be working in and through them. We celebrate the fruit and learn from them. So ask, what is its fruit? Not, where is it planted? This picture of kingdom of God also means that Jesus speak, speaks and brings life to people everywhere. There are no boundary lines that limit his access to us and our access to him. We don't need to believe in something to turn to him. We don't need to become anything for him to respond and help us. He's not like the queens and the kings and the Game of Thrones where they demand you to bend their knee before they can help you. His kingdom is not like the earthly kingdoms. So my second practical suggestion today is assume that Jesus is working in everyone's life. Whether they know Jesus or not, whether they're Christian or not, religious or not. I'm not saying that Jesus is working to convert them to Christianity. He is, I'm saying that he's speaking and leading them to get to know him 
to receive life from him. See, the bounded set faith has a way of messing up with our friendship with non-believers. As I said earlier, the bounded set paradigm assumes that God's love and grace only work within the set. That means we know more, we know better, we have the truth and others don't. So out of love, we need to save them from themselves and bring them into our camp. It's not going to help our friendships, is it? But when we understand that no one has to jump through hoops to have access to Jesus, and that Jesus is already bringing life to everywhere, then we can not only enjoy our friends as who they are, but we can learn from them about following Jesus. That's right, we can learn about following Jesus even from those who don't know Jesus. Like my yoga teacher taught me how to care for and love my body. And when I talked to Jesus about that, he affirms that. He said, yes, that is one way to turn toward me for you, to receive the love I have for you. A few weeks ago, I met somebody at a hair salon. We talked a little bit, and I really liked this person instantly. She seemed so real and um, fun and kind. Then toward the end of our short chat, um, when she found out that I was a pastor at a church, she says, she shared with me that she's a Muslim, but she talks and prays to Jesus, and she would like to visit us sometime. I was like, wow, something must been moving in her. Something must have been, something must have moved her for her to start praying to Jesus as a Muslim woman. Clearly, Jesus is working in her. And are we going to say to her that, no, that's not real because you're not a Christian. You have to become Christian first, and then you can talk to Jesus? No, of course not. I would love to personally get to know her more and hear her story because Jesus is already speaking to her. And because I see that God's life is pouring into her already. And my last suggestion today is try out friendship with Jesus. It is free trial <laughs> available to anyone. No strings attached. You don't have to jump through hoops or commit to anything to check him out. I don't have monopoly on truth as a follower of Jesus. But I do have something that my non-believing friends don't have, and that is my friendship with Jesus. I talk to him, and he talks back to me. I know him as a person, and he is really cool. My friendship with him has given me so much. It has made my life better. It has healed me and freed me in ways that I could not have imagined. I'm a more joyful and connected person because Jesus is my friend. And Jesus himself is telling us through his parables 
that this friendship with him is available for anyone. So you, if you haven't yet, start talking to Jesus. Get to know him. Of course, um, get to know him. Or um, you can come to this class that Sarah Firsty and I are leading in October. We're calling it Tuesdays with God, uh, where we will try different spiritual exercises to help us interact with God. You do not have to believe in God or believe in Jesus to, to come to this class, but you do need to be open to checking him out. Uh, if you're interested, uh, fill out the connection cards. There's a checkbox for Tuesdays with God. We'll send you more information. Uh, space is limited, so you want to act fast. Okay. Let me read the story of the mustard seed one more time as we wrap up. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed planted in this world. Though it is small, it grows and grows into a big plant. It grows and flowers, though we do not understand how. It provides shelter and food to many and produces many more seeds, which in turn find their own places to be planted. And they grow and they spread until they fill the whole world, until the glory of God fills the earth. So that was my version of the story. I'm going to end with a prayer and then give you guys a few minutes of quiet before the worship starts um, to reflect and maybe take this opportunity um, to talk to Jesus, if you would. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for being available to be our friend, to respond to our um, questions, to respond to our prayers for help, to respond to us, um, for we get, want to get to know you because we want to get to receive the life that you has for us and for the whole world. So I open the space for you, Jesus, as we quiet our mind and as we talk to you. I pray that you would respond back to us in a way that we understand. In Jesus' name, amen.